0: Welcome everyone to the 10th and final episode of our first season of the Northern Spin Podcast. My name is Michael Taylor, and as always, I'm joined by Chris Maguire. 10 already. Hello, Michael. How are you? Yeah, I'm a, a now bit, this... I've am i been better. <laughs> well, we're not going to mention... Uh... I've, had, I've had concussion. I banged my head at the weekend. Absolutely. So I yeah. might be
1: a bit dazed. And your beloved... Uh, I might be beat. a bit
0: depressed. Well, that's because... I was really pleased about the cricket. I was disappointed about England in the rugby league World Cup semi final in a half empty Emirates Stadium. But well, apart from that, yeah, life's good.
1: And you count mentioned- my blessings. You've not mentioned in three week. Anyway, moving Blackburn. swiftly on. Okay, now this may be the final episode of season one, but the good news is that the first episode of season two begins next week. Hooray for that! We've got uh, so much to talk about. We're going to be do- we're going to be doing a Northern Spin extra podcast this week, which will be available on Thursday. Um, thanks to our friends
0: at What Media and Oscar Technology, um, because without them we couldn't do what we do, could we? Michael? No, absolutely. Oscar Technology, top recruitment company in the Manchester in the Manchester area, uh, working all over the world, finding quality candidates for growing companies and we went to see andy Morell who's the uh, the boss of yeah. technology last well, week wasn't it a great atmosphere I, I i'm really intrigued by workplaces yeah um you know like like the offices here at what media with their pool table outside um but what what a really interesting environment and like when we went to see um, river capital over in liverpool yeah it's just vibrant it just seemed like a vibrant friendly environment people coming up you can just tell can't you no, absolutely. No, we enjoyed uh, We enjoyed
1: that visit as well. Oscar Technology is now the number one recruitment company to work for in the Northwest, and it's easy to see why, and we're delighted they're our sponsor. Now, I've got some personal news for you, Michael. Go on. Um, Do you remember I once told you I'd met Boris Johnson at Legoland when he was
0: with his family? Wasn't Peppa Pig World. He should. No. Definitely Legoland. So was he with which of his wives and how many of his children were with him? He was with his middle wife, uh, Marina Marina Wheeler, Wheeler. and
1: their four children. Um, But a long time ago, actually, before he was Prime Minister, in fact, before he was Mayor, uh, we didn't really talk. We just looked at each other. But that was (laughs) enough, apparently... he his ta- he gave me a, he gave me a nod of his tassel blonde hair and i and i waved at him and uh, anyway i thought nothing of it but lo, um, lo and behold it looks like i'm now going to be made a peer in
0: johnson's resignation list so i'll be joining the house of lords well i know what you've done there um there are there are people far far less deserving of a peerage than you chris including ross kempsel aged 30 and charlotte owen in her 20s are going into the house of lords in Boris Johnson's resignation honours list. I think it's absolutely disgraceful that someone should lead, leave office, and be given the honour, the privilege of being able to dispense honours to their mates. It's absolutely shocking.
1: Well, I'm in agreement with you there. Um, I'm obviously Paul Dacre being tipped for
0: one. The uh, Daily yeah, Mail. the Daily Mail editor. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's questionable for yeah. the kind of poison that he's dripped onto British society for the last forty years. What about Teesside Mayor Ben Houchin? Um, Well, that kind of scuppers his ambitions to be prime minister, doesn't it? If he's put in the House of Lords.
1: Mm, yeah. Yeah. I mean, th- listen, this but is you're the reason why. not happy about any No, of I'm, this, not are you, I'm not happy. I'm not happy. I mean, uh, so there's t- a phrase- tell, me,
0: tell me why you're not happy.
1: Well, you used the word grubby a lot last, uh, you know, in the last episode, <laughs> yeah. uh, as did uh, Keir Starmer. This this grubby little deal, you look at the last few weeks, right? The grubby little deal to appoint or to reappoint Sorella Braverman as Home Secretary, six days after being sacked from multiple security breaches. Yeah. Then there's Matt Hancock. Yeah. abandon his constituents to earn £400,000 on I'm a Celebrity. Now, I should just say, I know you don't watch I'm a Celebrity. I watch a little bit of it. He's coming across very well people won't like that he shouldn't be on the jungle agreed but he's coming across very well Uh, bully boy Gavin Williamson sacked by two previous PMs I refuse to call him sir if you're listening Gavin come on and uh, you know put your own defence forward gets invited back by Rishi Sunak despite being twice sacked from previous cabinets uh, and being the subject of an ongoing bullying investigation for a non-job, now we've got Chris, the situation. You're,
0: sa- you're sounding um sound like you, we, yeah, we sound like we've got you completely politically on side. I've been working on the culture stuff with you, yeah, whereas actually you blindsided me, and you're actually politically getting right up to speed on this. You can see them for what they are now, can't you? No surely not, no, 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 you I can know, see no, I can see
1: I can see some of them for what they are, and I can see Boris Johnson for what he is, like Boris Johnson has got the morals of an alley cat. <laughs> um, he wants his former 30-year-old political advisor, Ross Campbell who interviewed him, I think, about making buses, London buses. Oh, um, yeah, former personal that. assistant, Charlotte Owen. It's outrageous. Four Tory employees, including his mate, Nadine Doris, have been nominated for peerages, but they've agreed to defer taking up these peerages because they don't want to trigger a
0: by-election, which everybody knows they would lose. Then you've got Ben Houchin, I mean, also. Honestly, Chris, just answer me this question. I'm being completely yeah. serious at this. I, yeah. I don't mind experienced politicians, Whichever political colour, you know, people like Jeffrey Howe, Leon Britton, Ken Clark, you know, serious Tories making their way into the House of Douglas-Hurd for another yeah. one, and um, and getting a peerage and being able to use the wisdom that they've accrued through years in office, as a result of their achievements and their statesmanlike abilities, to be able to scrutinise legislation. I get that, yeah. But what on earth has Nadine Dorries ever done? No, I agree. I agree. The thing is... She would never have been in government were it not for the fact that she was a misty-eyed Boris Johnson fan.
1: My view is that you want people who've devoted a lifetime of service uh, for public service, and they deserve to be um, given a peerage, and and that's what they should be for. The idea of giving a 30-year-old or 27-year-old and giving them £300 a day in expenses for life... I mean, and and it begs a question as well with Liz Truss. I mean, she was Prime Minister for 45 days. Now, we don't know yet. Does she get a resignation list? And if she did, who would she put in that
0: resignation list? I'll tell you what surprised me at the Cenotaph at the weekend. Every surviving British Prime Minister and the the line that they're all there. You know, there's Gordon Brown, Tony Blair, John Major. And then, oh, my God, yeah. Liz Truss was Prime Minister, so yeah. she gets to go to the Cenotaph as a former Prime Minister. She gets to go to state occasions, despite only having done the job for about 10 days. Do you think it gets less and less? Uh, do you
1: think well, Rishi Sunak will show his social and bottle and block these nominations? No,
0: I don't. There are no indications so far that Rishi Sunak has enough confidence to take tough internal decisions that will seriously damaged relations with the hard right of the Tory party he's consistently tried to hold this flimsy internal coalition together as you quite correctly said Chris with the appointments of, of Williamson Braverman and, and Rob, yeah. who again has been under scrutiny last week despite their obvious unsuitability and being a, they go completely counter to his supposed commitment to accountability and honesty in public life so I've seen no indications it'll do so, but yet it is an open goal. It's an absolute opportunity for him to reset his premiership, but he can't. He's a prisoner of the ERG and the Tory hard right. It's been a truly, truly shameful episode.
1: um, I'm going to give a slightly different spin on it because I think actually things are a bit more normal now under uh, Sunic than they were under Trust. It wouldn't be hard to be more normal than under the Liz Trust government. Um, he did set his stall out about uh, this will be the party for integrity and this, that and the other. And I think the problem is is that some of his appointments, you know, are clearly uh, as a result of dodgy deals to try and keep, you know, the right of the party happy. I think he'll find it very, very difficult to to block these moves because if he blocks any Boris move nominations, then then that'll alienate certain sections of his party as yeah, well. That's um, a
0: fair comment. I'll tell you what's interesting though, Chris. So consistently, Sunak's attack line to Keir Starmer at Prime Minister's Questions is, yeah, but you backed Jeremy Corbyn. Why isn't the retort with, hold on a minute, you served Boris Johnson? I mean, Corbyn may be many things. One is he's in the wilderness, and we'll talk about an issue with him later on maybe. But actually, Boris Johnson, as you said, has the, the morals of an alley cat and has actually proved that he was unfit to hold office. Not that he might have been a bad choice for someone to hold office, which is something I accept.
1: But Rishi Sunak could turn around and say, albeit slightly mealy mouth, because he left it so late in the day, I did resign from Boris Johnson's government, um, he could say that. I-, I think, like I say, I think we need to judge people on what they do now. Um, what I think... Everyone oh, is in agreement. You always now, exactly. want to
0: give them space, don't you? Time no, and time no. <laughs> again, the Tories prove they're unfit to govern, and that, there you go.
1: No, I think um, I think there's other things we need to talk about. Uh, well, there are. God. I mean,
0: Jeremy Hunt's going to be slashing public spending and putting up taxes this yeah.
1: week. Yeah, I mean, what's interesting is that is that this period of time. Of, of Liz Truss's government, everyone's now going to basically dismantle everything she ever said. And, and she'll be airbrushed out of the history books. I mean,
0: I noticed that... Um, Her the, debt won't,
1: though. Well, the, no, no, I mean, there's a figure that I heard today. The harm I, to
0: the public finances can't be just er- erased with the swipe of a hand.
1: No, 45, 45 days. And uh, I, I heard an interview today where they estimated that the cost of the government was, or the cost of the economy was a billion
0: pound a day. And then you can add on to that all the money that Rishi Sunak squandered with the bounce-back loans and the fraud that he, with, with his poorly managed, poorly thought through schemes during lockdown, the amount that he... And that's
1: where we're in disagreement because you keep calling it fraud and I would say some aspects of what he did yeah. didn't work, but I would say furlough per se... No, Chris, there was fraud. There, there is was fraud. fraud. There was some dispute, there was fraud. But you, you can't do what you always do, which is basically, you know, say everything that he did was wrong. No, it I didn't. Wasn't no, parts no, of what no, he did I, were wrong.
0: No, I didn't. But what I did say was they didn't correctly set up the scheme in order to police the fraud that it unleashed. Secondly, I've been very critical of the eat out to help out scheme, which I thought was unnecessary and costly. And I think a lot of the hospitality businesses, though they may have benefited marginally, would have done okay anyway, once lockdown ended. I think the furlough scheme was, a, was an act of great bravery by any Western government that was able to do that to support people to stay at home in order to Blah, blah, blah. Save mm. lives, protect the NHS. No, I, d- don't try and mischaracterize what I'm saying. Okay. But but it, it, remain, it remains a demonstrable fact that Rishi Sunak is as responsible as Liz Truss for the poor state of our public finances because he was chancellor who squandered all that money.
1: Okay, let's talk about a couple of other things. Um... Investment zones uh, look like they're going to—they're uh, going to be, uh, yeah, you know, they were, they they were a bad yeah, yeah, idea. Yeah, 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 it was a bad they? idea. It was short-term, I assume. I mean, Jeremy Hunt's going to announce his autumn statement. I mean, I was listening once again. I mean, obviously, I think what Jeremy Hunt and Richard Sunak will do, I think they'll prove themselves to be a pair that can keep costs down and try and get the economy back on an even keel. But I don't see a lot there in terms of growth. But one thing I want to talk about is Blackpool. Now, last week the government announced a 40 million pound investment into Blackpool, which will be used to demolish and relocate Blackpool Magistrates Court, freeing up Blackpool Central site for 300 million pounds worth of leisure developments. Now, it wasn't a coincidence that that coincided with an event that was taking place in Blackpool, where the new, new old levelling up minister, Michael Gove, was chairing a discussion. He said it was, I quote, the biggest single regeneration project in Blackpool, in all our lifetimes now that's 40 million quid in all our lifetimes what's your take on that michael i
0: think that's um overstating things somewhat uh it shows quite how far blackpool's fallen that this latest straw that's being clutched at is heralded in such terms so let me just loop back if you want and try and give you some insights into what's been going on in blackpool for the last 20 years from 2000 to 2007 blackpool effectively bet everything on casinos, the Labour government started a competition for the award of Britain's first super casino. I covered every twist and turn of this story with Blackpool's efforts to reinvent itself as the Las Vegas of the North or the Atlantic City of our West Coast. And the businessman Trevor Hemmings, who owns Press North End, but you know has owned all sorts of businesses in the in the in the North, including Scottish and Newcastle breweries over the years. He bought up land. He owns a lot of land around your way, doesn't he? Surely, does, Chile, yeah. yeah. Um, He shipped over the mayor of Atlantic City, New Jersey, to make the case. It was going to give a new purpose and a boom to poor, tired old Blackpool. We hosted roundtables, breakfast events. We ran interviews with key people like Alan Cavill from Blackpool Council and then a bombshell. On the 30th of January 2007, the independent casino advisory panel announced that the winner, as it so often was for lots of these regeneration projects that had put in the best bid with the best business case, wasn't Blackpool, but Manchester. And they were going to get the Super Casino and it was going to be located where the Etihad Stadium, on the site next to it now, where the new um, Co-Op Live Arena's going. Shortly after that, Gordon Brown, possibly it's, it's argued under pressure, from Paul Dacre at the Daily Mail, scrapped the whole casino thing. Well, I looked it up in Gordon Brown's biography and... Um, and he puts it down to being the son of a man, which is a Scottish Presbyterian minister. So maybe, you know, his kind of strong moral case went to actually thinking we, we've unleashed gambling too far. And it coincided with a whole load of measures to actually clamp down on advertising from offshore online casinos as well. I think so you—you you remembered all that yeah, when you were yeah, editing I do, the Chorley yeah, Guardian. I do,
1: I do, and the thing is, everyone said that. Um, I remember those headlines, which was—and we've spoken about this. You know, if ever there's a headline which got a question mark next to it, the answer is always no. I mean, Andrew Marr says that, and other people have said that as well. Is this the end of Blackpool? When Uh, the super casino went to manchester no it's not clearly it's not um i think one of the challenges and we've spoken about this before is that what does blackpool stand for now clearly blackpool is a tourism mecca it's second only to london as the uk top tourist destination i had a conversation uh last week i was in the uh i was in the sauna of my of my (laughs) gym and (laughs) too much information I I i was too much i was talking to this guy and we were talking about i think it was called works week or wakes week um, wakes week wakes week yeah. yeah and it was a period of time where and he knew everything he said look chorley used to go out on this particular time of the month yeah and then the whole the whole working area the whole of the town would basically shut up shop and go to blackpool for a week or two weeks it'd be bolton it'd be wigging it'd yeah. be chorley as That's well right. yeah. now i went to blackpool a couple of weeks ago for the illuminations and the illuminations are great don't get me wrong and you walk on the prom and they're great the problem is is that I don't necessarily know what Blackpool stands for beyond yeah. tourism. Um, some of, the, some of the, those roads that I walked down and I wasn't on the main prom were dreadful. And whenever you look at t- figures, health figures about life expectancy, yeah, people talk grim, about Blackpool as having a particularly low life expectancy in parts of Blackpool yeah. as well. Blackpool Airport hasn't operated commercial flights since 2014. You got a parking ticket for visiting Blackpool recently as well. Um, That's fine. A lot but, of talk about Strictly Strictly Come Dancing is going to be you know, obviously being held at Blackpool one week every um, series. But what does Blackpool stand for? I don't know.
0: Well, when um, Blackpool has always been searching for a new purpose, it failed with the, with the casino thing. I, I think if that had happened, it wouldn't have improved the life of Blackpool at all. Um, you, I know that you like the film Wonderful Life and in that alternate universe where Bedford Falls... Becomes governed by a Donald Trump type character, and it becomes a sleazy casino. I think Blackpool; it would have unleashed a, a awful lot of new social problems. One of the one of the big issues is, and it came out in a report in 2013 by a group called the Centre for Social Justice. It said Blackpool has become a dumping ground for people facing problems such as unemployment, social exclusion, and substance abuse. And this and this report that has looked to the future rather than the past has said. What it actually needs is almost to level all that really poor quality housing, two streets behind the seafront, and to think about a completely different offer. But people need to have jobs to go to. They need to have a different different tourist offer that that can't just be about seaside resorts. Despite the fact, obviously, we're facing climate change, it's not enough. Um, And I have heard mumblings too that the powerful Blackpool lobby are holding out for something from government which which is conditional on their their support or them not blocking Morecambe's far more ambitious and audacious bid to bring the Eden Project north to uh, to Morecambe, which is something I have done some work for, so just to declare an interest, and I, think, um, and I think that's a really, really interesting and um, ambitious way of thinking about the future of a, of a neighbouring seaside resort. I, I think
1: the Eden Project in Morecambe would be phenomenal. Um, I absolutely do because it's not just about the attraction, it's about the message it's sending out, especially around sustainability and the environment. Like I say, I'm not from the north. You know, my wife is, you know, she goes to Blackpool Illuminations every year. She loves it. Me personally, I don't get it. Um, but that said, I think this £40 million, pound, what it is, it's good news. Let's not kid ourselves, it's good news. Um, but what I would say in relation to that um is that and does it does it sort of suggest that leveling up might be back on the agenda not sure I think it's I think it was important that it was piecemeal I was
0: I was in London last week and I had the opportunity to travel on the Elizabeth line and I was just standing there looking up in absolute awe at what a marvelous piece of engineering it is and, and the cost that it has been and what an addition it is to our nation's capital and yet we're scrambling around urinating into Pringle's cartons on packed commuter trains yeah did you get
1: caught when you urinated onto a pringle (laughs) i didn't actually do that okay all right listen i think that's all for the first part of northern spin after the interval we're going to talk about all things labor put you on the spot for once michael Well, Welcome back after the interval. This is Northern Spin, our 10th episode, our final episode of uh, our first season. We start a new season next week. I'm going to put you on the spot in a second, Michael, about Andy Burnham, his decision to choose Labour MP, Kate Green as Deputy Mayor, which surprised me. I'm hoping you can uh, shed some light on that. But before then, I want to ask about a comment by Labour's shadow health tech team, Rising Star. Wes Streeting. We touched on um, Mr. Corbyn earlier, Jeremy Corbyn. He was caught on a mic describing the former leader as senile. It was at PMQs last week. He later apologised but said it was poor judgement um, by him. It was said in jest but it was poor judgement by one of Labour's rising stars. What yep. was your
0: take on that, Michael? Because if a Conservative had said that, you'd be all over it. <sighs> Not necessarily. I mean, they say say worse things. They do worse things. It was undoubtedly a comment in poor taste, but Corbyn, who despite living in Parliament practically his whole adult life, doesn't understand either procedure, nor do his supporters understand the difference between an off-the-cuff comment and a health policy on dementia. He was trying to make an intervention at the wrong time in PMQs. So I think the murmuring on the Labour front bench, and it wasn't, it wasn't a speech. He didn't say, today's speech, I'm going to denounce Jeremy Corbyn as being senile. He didn't. He just went, what's, what's wrong with him? Why is he doing this? Mm. And West Street he went, I think he's, it's Jeremy's senile. Because he didn't understand that it was the, an inappropriate moment at which to make an intervention. And I think the body language of Lindsay Hoyle demonstrated the same sort of irritation, though he obviously he didn't use um, s- something like that. Now, which there is a sensitivity over Corbyn that he should be kicked out because it would address the accusation that Keir Starmer tried to make Jeremy Corbyn PM, right? I never did. I never delivered a single leaflet or knocked on a single door and advocated anybody to vote for Jeremy Corbyn, to make him Prime Minister while I was in the Labour Party. What it was West something Streeting, I was never prepared to do. What West Streeting did
1: really well, actually, is he owned it straight away, though. Yeah, That's why yeah. I give him credit. And he, yeah. he took social media, he said, look, it was said in jest, I apologise, it was the wrong choice of words. Um, I always say to people, if you make a mistake,
0: own it, move yeah. on. Well, and all the Twitter bros, like Owen Jones, and Aaron Bastani, and Matt Zarb-Cousin, they they call, they call randomly will call people nonces. Mm. Um, Owen Jones, who's a, particularly horrible individual, um, was really... He actually did do interviews where he purposely went out of his way to say that Joe Biden is barely sentient. So yeah. for him to then show this righteous indignation over an incident like this, I think it's completely confected outrage I by Jeremy it. Corbyn's supporters as a means to attack West Street. I wouldn't give Owen Jones uh, the time of day. I wouldn't. I, don't think Fine. We should discuss I, I know.
1: Because, because he's, no, he's right. not a nice bit of work. Um, now, Michael, I was really intrigued by something that I spotted last week. And okay. I thought to myself, I'm hoping you can shed some light on it. If
0: I can help, Chris, then I will.
1: <laughs> Kate Green. Um, now, Kate Green, wasn't an MP that I knew particularly well. She resigned as the MP for Stretford and Eamston in Trafford, triggering a by-election date to be confirmed. She was announced by Andy y- Burnham, the yeah, mayor, yeah. as a preferred choice for his role, uh, his, his preferred choice for the role of Deputy Mayor of Greater Manchester, replacing Baroness Bev Hughes. Yeah. Now, I didn't actually know a great deal about the role of Deputy yeah. Mayor, and I didn't okay. actually know the background to this. So can you tell me what happened?
0: Well, as the author of the ac- academic thesis, Devolution and Democracy networks and narratives in Greater Manchester, I would be more than happy to try to explain some of the labyrinth structures of the Greater Manchester Combined Authority. I, I should be able to do this in about 40 minutes or so. Okay, absolutely. Yeah, let's yeah. do an extra, an extra, extra. <laughs> no. So, no, really, really succinctly, joking aside. So Andy, Andy Burnham appointed Bev Hughes after his first election win in 2017 to do the job of Deputy Mayor for Policing and Fire right? So each area has what's called a police and crime commissioner. Andy Burnham has effectively outsourced that part of his job as Metro Mayor to another individual in, this ca- in the initial case with Bev Hughes, the former MP for Stretford and Ermston, and she's in the House of Lords. Now, he made the argument at the time that Bev had been a counter-terrorism minister, an immigration minister, and that the role of Metro Mayor just as it needed cabinet-level experience to negotiate with government, to manage public services in a mature way, needed people with strong government experiences to stabilize and bring some fat you know some hard, fast experience to presumably what was he, he regarded as an amateur slipshod operation in Greater Manchester.
1: Yeah, it was, it was an interesting one because Kate Green isn't a politician that I know particularly well. And incidentally, if Andy Burnham or Kate Green want to come on this show, they'd be very welcome. We'd like to do a piece with them. I'm sure, um, yeah, definitely. And, and I was surprised by Andy Burnham's choice. So I did a little bit of research on it. The only good thing or the only thing I could find out about um about kate green of any note was when she as Labour's shadow education secretary she suggested covid 19 pandemic would be a quote good crisis Ooh. for her party and i thought at the time i thought you know what that's such a crass statement to make and it's the sort of thing that stays with somebody she did apologize to be fair to her it was a it was certainly a um, a heavy use of words it just got me thinking though that given that kate green is replacing another former labor mp in bev hughes after five years in the role could Andy Burnham not have appointed a council leader or somebody with local government experience from a Greater Manchester background? Because one would have thought there would have
0: been people out there. You may say that, Chris. I couldn't possibly comment. Yes, that sounds
1: like you've been watching too much of uh, Yes Minister. Um, yeah, like I say, I, I just thought to myself, you know, you know Labour better than me, Michael, but, 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 but do you have to be a former Labour MP to be considered for the Deputy Mayor's role?
0: I think maybe more than that you have to be the former Labour MP for Stratford and Ermston. Well,
1: very tactfully put. But it's really, really interesting. And I, like I say, I think it's important we shine a light on that because because what what Labour have set themselves apart from trying to be is a, is 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 above the Conservatives. And you know, the, um, Andy Burnham has made
0: an appointment. It, it is here. a political role.
1: It's a political role. Yeah. yeah, it's a political role. And and you can understand the reason why that job is so big, he doesn't need to bring people in to assist him. But uh, like I say, if every time Andy Burnham needs to add somebody to, his, to his, his team, he goes back to the well of Labour MPs, especially Labour MPs who are retiring, I think that's a kick in the teeth to, to, to local government up here in the northwest and in greater manchester and i don't think that's a good move forward but listen andy burnham if you're listening you want to come on the northern spin feel free i think that's all for the second part of northern spin we're going to come back after the break when we're going to be talking about uh, your your
0: continued attempts at trying to make me more northern Welcome back to the Northern Spin podcast for the section we call the fun bit. And Chris, I understand you've solved the Bahrain mystery. Yeah, people have
1: been talking about that, like the, uh, you know, the old Bermuda Triangle. And we've discussed the Bahrain mystery. As you know, Michael, Northern Spin has been doing very well in Apple's podcast charts. Got as high as six, actually, in the UK podcast charts for our uh, category. But in Bahrain, we've hit as high as third. And I (laughs) couldn't work out why. Anyway, my former deputy editor at the Bristol Evening Post, lovely guy called Stan Skokowska, who is now the managing director or the managing editor of Golf Daily News in Bahrain, he's been promoting Northern Spin to his contacts. And that's the reason why we are as high as number three in the
0: Bahrain charts. Well, thank you very much, Stan. That's really good. Do you call him Stan the man? Everyone
1: calls him Stan the man. Oh, they Stan, Stan really? if you're listening, Stan the man, we oh, like okay. you.
0: So I'm gonna ask you a question now. Okay. And your answer will go a long way to deciding whether we can do a second series. I can think I can Northern preempt. Spin. I think I can preempt the question. No is the answer.
1: I do not support Burnley. <laughs>
0: Tumbleweed. Anyway, <laughs> so as you know, tickets have gone on sale over the weekend. A lot of people spent a lot of time in queues on the phone to buy tickets to see the Northern National Treasure that is Peter Kay and his first tour in twelve years. But the question I've got to ask you is: Well, the first one is, do you like Peter Kay?
1: Yeah, I've seen Who him. Who doesn't see, like Peter yeah, Kay? Seen him in concert. Seen him in concert.
0: Yeah, brilliant. And the second question is, do you like Phoenix Nights? Dum dum dum.
1: Phoenix Nights. Of course, now Michael, now there's some questions can cause deep offence and to ask me whether I like Phoenix Knights or have I heard of Phoenix Knights is an absolute outrage and I'm going to show, you know, I'm going to show the sort of indignation you show to me when I ask (laughs) you a question, when I... You know, say that you're not being impartial enough, Michael. I love Phoenix Knights. I, hey. love, I love Brian Potter. I love Jerry St Clair. I love Dem Perry, um, Ray Vaughn, Max and Paddy. It's I was um, Little I was, Kenny, Big Kenny. Absolutely, absolutely. Twenty years ago, there's only ever two series of know. Um, you know uh, Phoenix Knights. It's a bit like Faulty Towers. People think there was you know series after series yeah, of Faulty yeah. Towers. There weren't many. Um, and what, the and the Office. Yeah, absolutely. And actually, I think there's a really good case for saying that a series had only got two really good series yeah, in it. Yeah. Um, what, what did you like about Phoenix Nice? Uh,
0: the writing, uh, the complete absurdity of it, the fact it's massively on PC. I mean, you, you could never get away with some of the jokes in there now. Um, almost trivialising human trafficking and the human slavery of two Chinese workers that they had working in the kitchen at the Phoenix and ridiculing them um the casual racism the homophobia but apart from that yeah i found it absolutely hilarious and my i brought my kids up on it and they go to other kids houses and they go dad are we a strange family because other families haven't heard of phoenix (laughs) nights that should be on every national curriculum it should and we, we honestly we can go in the car so we i chatted about this at the weekend with my kids as we were driving up to lancaster or my son matt was driving me up to lancaster where as we were going past the um Strangely enough, as we were going past the Chorley exit, clearly near where you live, I did recall I have one dad joke. Now you're known for your dad jokes. I know, yeah, yeah. What was your dad joke? Well, when we're driving up on the M61, I look over at uh, Winter Hill to the transmitter and I say to Matt, went to a wedding there once. And he goes, what was it like? And I say, not very good, but the reception was great
1: yeah and then you tell me about tumbleweed i mean literally <laughs> that, if that is your one dad joke there's a reason for that
0: but my, my son matt i asked him what he liked best on phoenix nights and he said it was the folk band fronted by tim healy singing could i call half a shilling <laughs> singing, singing a folk song uh, to the tune of chippy tea by the lancashire yeah. hot pots to and it was said send the buggers back yeah and i also like clinton baptiste Yeah, he was a character. I mean, we both I'm getting getting the word.
1: We've both met a few of these people,
0: haven't we? Yeah. I I know Justin Morehouse quite well. He lived lived over the hill from me. And same with Ted Robbins, who's Paul McCartney's uh, cousin. Both really lovely blokes. Justin, of course, had his face painted like a tiger for the whole (laughs) of the second series. And he's a massive Man United fan, but they made him wear a city shirt for the whole series as well. Uh, I think my favourite episode, though, has to be the Family Fun Day.
1: Yeah, well, you know what? It got me thinking, actually. that I Actually, I think I'm going to watch it again. <laughs> yeah. I, I think, yeah. I generally, because... Um, and I'm going to get my kids to watch it and see what they think about it, because, I mean, they're like 19 and 22. I mean, in terms of Chorley, like I said, I used to be the editor of the Chorley Guardian for nearly six years. Okay. Dave Spikey is from Chorley, so... Uh, I, Do you I, meet I, him? Yeah, I met him quite a few times, actually, but uh, he lives... He He's li- a really he, nice he, fella, isn't yeah, he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. At least he used to live uh, in sort of Whitley Woods area, so... Uh, I, I used to see him walking with his wife across uh, Culling um, Cullin Park, just at the back of where He's he lives. He's not singing songs in Asda no, surely now. No, 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 no. Black Black you know, I wonder how many people go up to him and say Jerry Sinclair, but um, I think they've moved on the, now. The it's compare
0: deep- without compare.
1: That's a line that I use uh, <laughs> when I host events. I say Chris McGuire, the compare without compare. I hadn't realised where it had come from. Today's so biking, I apologise. Um, now Steve Royal, I know quite well. Steve Royal finished. He, third. He's on Radio Lancashire, isn't he? Yeah, he is. Yeah, yeah. And if you ever go to Blackpool, which we mentioned earlier, he's, he does panto there and has done for about right. fifty thousand years. He is Mr Panto. Right. Finished third Britain's Got Talent uh, last year. His daughter was in the same year as okay. my daughter at school as well and I once played in a charity cricket match with um, with Ted Robbins Acker He's the Dan guy that plays Dan, Dan Perry yeah that's right a guy uh, a friend of mine called Dave Swanton fixed it up as well and uh, yeah just a uh, good real character
0: yeah we, we he went to a uh, a celebrity cricket match at Ramsbottom I saw him there my son Louis went up to him at Ramsbottom and said you got a nerve showing your face around here Perry <laughs> Yes, he's a comedian as well isn't he your son, he Louis? is actually yeah I think he'd make a very good comedian with Louis Yeah. anyway we're on to culture Chris so last week we talked about books um, I tried to make some suggestions to you so how did you get on with a true crime story by Joseph Knott or the Manque Noir Trilogy by my mate Dave Nolan. Well,
1: disappointed, actually. The reason being that I actually took up uh, took you up in your advice and I went onto Audible and I read the reviews of Dave Nolan's books and I thought that's right up my street. I like that, crime, uh, blood and guts, fiction. And then he's not available on Audible. So Audible, if you're listening, you need to pull your finger out. Joseph Knox, however, is. So he's on my wish list, so I'll be adding him. Um, to, um, to, to, to future books that I'll be listening to.
0: Great. No, I, th- I don't think you'll be disappointed. It's set in Manchester, uh, around Manchester University. So it's a particular resonance for me as well. So you mentioned your rather limited and not very northern musical taste yep. in a previous podcast, saying that you liked Roy Orbison. Now, nothing wrong with that. Incidentally, uh, Roy Orbison
1: met his wife uh, in Batley, northern link so oh, there is a northern about link. The variety club yeah i think so yeah right. yeah
0: i mean she's quite young at the time to be fair but we'll move on from that <laughs> oh, no yeah. anyway so i've one of my favorites is richard hawley who's a sheffield based crooner with a very distinctive voice very much in that style he even looks like a 1950s American like you bump into him at a diner in arkansas or something Honestly, Chris, I think you'll like him. I've seen him a few times. He's really cool. Very, very Northern. It's an open goal for you to improve your Northern credentials.
1: I'm not going to lie. I mean, I I did actually stumble across him recently and his voice is too deep. He's like a Barry White, you know.
0: Um, It's a bit bit deep, but it's not too
1: deep. And what's wrong with Barry White anyway? Well, I'm not a fan of Barry White either, but I mean, uh, Roy Orbison is up there on a pedestal. and, And to be honest with you, I mean, he's a great singer, Richard Hawley, but he's no Roy Orbison.
0: Okay, but you're prepared to give him a go. I'll give him a go. If I give give, you a little playlist. Richard, if you're listening, I'll give you a go. Fantastic. Right, this has been Northern Spin. That was the fun bit. Thanks um, to everybody for listening. Thanks to What Media for producing this. Real alchemists, they... Completely bring this to life, and thanks as well to Oscar Technology, eh, Chris.
1: Absolutely, absolutely as well, and to, and to your son, uh, Elliot Taylor, for providing the music to yeah. today's podcast. Thank you, Elliot.
0: This has been Northern Spin. My name is Michael Taylor,
1: and mine is still Chris McGuire. Thank you.